You are listening to a podcast from Camden Nazarene. Camden Nazarene is a Christ-centered and community-focused church located in Camden, South Carolina. We gather for worship each Sunday at 9.30 a.m., and you're invited to be our guest this Sunday. Well, good morning. Welcome to Camden Nazarene. It's great to see you this morning. Uh, my name is David, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we were hoping that you would come and uh, worship with us this morning. Uh, just a couple little uh, uh, notes that I want to add. Uh, our ser- a series that we're starting today, Let Earth Receive Her King, uh, is a series that has a devotional book that goes with it, and they are located in the back, uh, back there where Miss Dolores is sitting, uh, where the, on the base of the camera. So I'd love to, for you to pick one up. It's a devotional that will take you through the whole season of Advent, uh, reading for every day. And uh, so that's welcome to you. If we, we run out, no big deal. We'll order more. But uh, I think we have enough to, to get us started. So just want to, uh, wanted to make you aware of, of that. Uh, if you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to turn to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Old Testament book of Isaiah. And so we're starting the Advent. It's a little different. Uh, this is the first Sunday of Advent, uh, although the room doesn't appear that is the first Sunday of Advent, but we'll make that transformation tonight at our Hanging of the Greens uh, service, and we'll light the first candle of Advent uh, tonight as a part of that. So you need to come. You need to be here. Uh, all of you who uh, you fussed about church shutting down all those times, when church is open, okay? So church doors are open, so y'all come on. And uh, it was funny. The people on Facebook, I'm not talking about y'all. I'm just talking about just in general. But some of my... Most conservative voices on social media these last six months about religious freedom and churches being open. There are people who, you ain't been in church in like five years, and you worried about church being closed. Um, but uh, that's, anyway, that's a whole other thing. Sorry. <laughs> but Isaiah chapter 64 is where we'll be uh, here in a moment. You know, a few months ago, we never thought, a few months ago, we never thought that we would make it to this day. A few months ago, we were busy putting words like quarantine and COVID and social distancing into our vocabulary that it was hard to even think about this time of the year. A few months ago, we were, we were hoping for things to be different. And today, we still, we still hope. Hope is, is this theme on this first Sunday of Advent. It's a, it's a, it's a word, this is first Sunday of Advent, and there is... If there's any year that helps us illustrate uh, what it is to hope, if there's any year that helps us illustrate the meaning and the significance of Advent, then it just might be the year 2020. You know, every year as as a church, we follow what's called the Christian or the liturgical calendar. Uh, We follow it loosely, not, not as strict as some traditions, but uh, but we, we go through the seasons of Advent and Christmas and uh, Lent and Easter and Pentecost. And we do these things because we are, every year we are, it's like we're, we are rehearsing the gospel story. We are, we're telling the gospel story every year. And we're not just telling the gospel story. We're, we, are, we are attempting to place ourselves into the, uh, into the place or into the shoes or into the sandals of the first hearers, the first observers of all that took place here in the scripture. And so if we're walking through the season of Lent, we're, we're trying to place ourselves in the place of the disciples. What was it like to follow Jesus 
uh, all those years ago? What was it like to hear those words for the first time? What was it like to, to see him beaten, to see him spat upon, to see him crucified on a cross? What was it, what was it like to initially uh, feel that and to experience that? In Pentecost, we, we try to place ourselves in the, in, the, in the place of the disciples there in the upper room. What was it like to, to be promised the Holy Spirit? What was it like to be, to be told that I'm going away, I'm going to ascend, but I'm going to send a, another behind me. I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. What was it like to experience that birth of the church uh, there in that upper room? And in Advent, we do something similar. What was it like to for, for the people to be in darkness all those several hundreds of years, and for the Messiah to break through, just like the prophet Isaiah said that the Messiah would. And so in the season of Advent, we, we place ourselves in this position of, of, of waiting for the Messiah. See, the people, they had a great hope for the Messiah who would bring peace, a great hope for a Messiah who was going to bring joy, who was going to bring love, and was going to break into a very dark place. And so that's where we are today. I think, I think we, we understand what it means to hope. That's a word that we're all familiar with, but I would argue that probably more than this year, more than any other year, you've heard the word hope a lot right? You've heard phrases like, well, hopefully college will be able to resume normally. Well, hopefully school is going to be able to resume, resume normally. Hopefully college football will take place. Hopefully the Gamecocks will be good. We say that every year. That's not just a COVID thing. <laughs> all right? Let's just be honest. Let's just call it what it is, all right? Just what it is, all right? I've, you sound like one of those Clemson fans. No, I'm just being real, Okay. Gamecock as much as the next person, but you got to call, call balls and strikes, right? But, but as we use this word, hopefully, hopefully, things will return to normal one day. Hopefully, they will develop a vaccine. Hopefully, we can visit with loved ones again. So we understand hope, but, but do we really? You see, because if we're not careful, then we can make hope out to be just optimism. We think, we think that hope can just be wishful optimism. Sometimes we can define hope by what we see on the newest Hallmark movie. Now, you may not want to admit it, but you know that you love a good Hallmark movie. You don't want to admit it, but we all, we all, we all love it. I, I got the Hallmark package on my TV just for this time of the year, you know. But, but have you seen the new one? Have you seen the new Hallmark movie? It's the one where this woman is from a small town, and she moves away to a big city. She hasn't been back in years, and a family emergency brings her back. And as she's riding into town, uh, her car breaks down, and some friend from high school that she didn't really like stops and helps her fix the tire and come to find out he's like a secret millionaire. And then it's fun to find out that he, she fell in love with him. And then she, he did something very disappointing, and she questioned her love for him. But then he did something again that made her affirm his love for her, and then they got married. Have you seen that Hallmark movie? That's the new one. Have you, have you seen that Hallmark movie, you know? But sometimes, if we're not careful, we, we think hope is, is happily ever, ever after. Because that's what we see in the Hallmark movies. Hope is deeper than that. Hope is a, is a truth, and, our, and our, our faith ancestors, they had to realize 
what hope was all about. Even when it seems hopeless, the people of God are called to remember that we serve a faithful God. And so our, de- our text today is rooted in a hopeless situation. After decades of exile in Babylon, the Judeans, they're, they're free to return to their homeland only to find it destroyed, only to find it barren. What they thought was going to be a joyous homecoming has ended in feelings of despair. They told stories of this place to their children and to their grandchildren only to return and find it unrecognizable. And in their, in, in their despair, they, they feel this incredible distance from God. They question whether God is working on their behalf, if God is listening at all. In the midst of this great sorrow, in the midst of this despair, they, they raise up a great lament to God. And we're going to read that here in a moment. They say, oh God, that, that you would rend and you would open up the heavens and come down that the mountains would tremble before you. And so we we get laments like this. We get true confessions like this. It's this imagery here that that gives a great sense of longing for God to be revealed, for God to intervene, for God to interject some light into the midst of darkness. And so this is the context for our text today, Isaiah 64, verses 1 through 2. Uh, nine. Let's read verses one through four together. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as the as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains shivered before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard. No ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. And so because of their hopeless situations, the Judeans, the the people of God here, they cry out in lament to God. They wonder where God is and and they, they ask God to draw near. The language here that we see in in words like come down or make known, it points to the reality that they long for a great visible intercession of God. Remember, they've been in exile all these years. I think it's very important that we we truly understand the exile story in the Old Testament. This is kind of a Bible study little tip here. the, The more that you can understand the exile story, the more that you can understand the story of the Israelites and their story from Egypt and slavery to being set free to into exile, the more you truly understand that, the more that we can truly under, best understand the whole, whole Scripture uh, better. Because all of Scripture is, is kind of colored with these exile crayons, if you will. So it's very important. These last, actually, these last few months here, we've... Uh, whether it was the book of Daniel back in the summertime or our journey through this book of 2 Kings uh, a few weeks ago, we've kind of been steeped in this exile story uh, with the people of God. And so there comes a point where they're they're allowed to go back to their home, and they get there, and it's not at all what they hoped that it would be. And so they're making this intercession they're saying, God, would you come down? They, they, they recall the ways that God has interceded in the past and where God is the, this time. 
They, these people have heard their entire lives about their miraculous surroundings of, of Abraham and, 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 how, and how God was with Moses and how God helped establish the nation, how God parted the Red Sea. They've heard all of these stories for generations and for generations, and they go back into their homeland and they think, what in the world is this? This is not what great-granddaddy told me about. This is not what great-grandpa told me about when I was sitting on his knee Telling all these, good all these great stories of how it used to be. So they go back into the homeland. They find it in disarray. They find themselves in a hopeless situation. Look at verses 5 through 7. They write, You come to the help of those who gladly do right. You who remember your ways, but when we continue to sin against them, you were angry. How then can they be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. So this lament, this cry for help, then turns into a confession. They get to the city, they realize it's in disarray, they realize their hopeless situation, they cry out to God, but then they remember. They remember why they're in this situation. So this lament, it turns into a, it turns into a confession. There's some, there's some true honesty here that's happening with, these, with the people of God here. They believe their, their sin has caused God to, to turn away from them. They view their righteous acts as just filthy rags in light of their sin. Basically, anything that they try to do is just not good enough because they understand that it's, there's nothing that they can do to be good enough. They, they are unclean. They have forsaken God. You know, in some ways, this is a, um, it's a communal confession if you think about it. Because the, if you understand the context here, the ones who went back to Jerusalem, they are several generations removed from the ones who went into exile. And so in some ways, this is a communal uh, confession. This is a, this, these are grand and great-grandchildren that are saying, Lord, please forgive us. Lord, we understand the, the sin of our nation. Lord, we, we understand how, as a people, we rejected you. We understand how you tried to lead us, how you tried to move us forward. We understand how we continually just allow all these other things to get in the way of honoring you. And so this is a, a communal confession of people who wasn't even born when they were moved in to exile. And so they're not talking about individual acts here. They're talking about, Lord, who we are as a people. We've been unrighteous. We're in this hopeless situation because we, we did not remain faithful to you. So this is about corporate sin. This is a, uh, the ways that they, are, they, that they are as a society, as a people, you see, God, has called, God had called them to be a, a, a hospitable people. God had called them to be a faithful people, to a people that was going to love God and to love their neighbors. And they have, as a people, they had repeatedly lived in opposition to who God had called them to be. 
we see this idea of collective sin or this communal confession in verses 5 and 6 and 7 when it says, We continue to sin. All of us. No one. There in verse 7. This, this act of confession shows a, it shows a shift in their thinking. They understand that God is not to blame for their present circumstances. That they understand that they have a responsibility to own up where they are. So remember the first part. They get to the city and they're like, wow, this is terrible. Lord, would you, would you just show up and do something? Lord, come down and do something. Then they realize this is a part of our own, our own doing. But get this. Even in their desperation, they trust that God is listening to them. I'm sure we've all been there. You, you, you've been in a situation where maybe through decisions of your own, you, their life just isn't, just isn't what you thought it was going to be. Maybe through decisions of someone else, through decisions of a parent or someone in your family, things, have, <laughs> things haven't gone the way that the, the plan was. But even in those moments, we have to understand, we have to remember, we're called to remember that God is faithful and God is listening. And so you have a lament, but you have a confession. And honestly, I would, I would argue that confession and lament often, they go, they go hand in hand. They go hand in hand as lament is the act of crying out about our circumstances. And I would argue that confession is both a, it's a plea of, it's a plea of, plea for forgiveness, but it's also a plea for relationship as well. It's saying, Lord, forgive us of what we've done. Lord, forgive us of, of where we've been. We long to be in relationship with you. This is what the people of God are saying here in Isaiah 64. In both lament and confession, they long for, they long for something to be restored, for something to be renewed. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've had to lament or cry out or this, this moment of desperation, but it can leave you speechless, can it not? Anybody ever left, been left speechless just because of the, the situation that you find yourself in? Maybe not. You guys have a really cool life. Got it all together, man. Write a book. Tell me about it. Sell it, you know. Make, write a book about it. But so too the people of God are left Speechless. There's something interesting that happens in the original Hebrew text here. Between verses 7 and 8, there's actually a, in the original manuscript, uh, the, the scholars uh, tell us, there's a, actually a big space between what we now understand as verses 7 and verses 8. It was almost like the, the writer, the prophet Isaiah, it's almost like he's like, I don't have anything else left to say. That's... That's how bad the situation is. But then verse 8. Yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Are, are, are we, do you see a shift in the, in the verbiage here through these short six, eight verses so far? Lament, God, where are you at? What is your deal? What's your problem? Why, why have you not moved yet? Oh, I, we confess, Lord, it's our sin. But then they understand, but Lord, no matter what, no matter what the circumstance, you are our Father. 
And so hope is on the horizon. God is now the father. God is now the potter. The people are now the clay. The people are now the work of your hand. This is interesting because their circumstances haven't changed from verses 7 to 8. They're still looking at a desolate desolate place to call home. They still face innumerable odds. They still face this huge mountain to climb. So their circumstances haven't changed. What has changed is their view of God. And that's what we need to remember. There are many times where we feel like we're in a hopeless situation where we're crying out to God. And many times when we, when we pray to God, we understand that it's not the circumstance that needs to change. It's our view of God. Our hope is grounded in not God being this magic genie that just makes everything better. Our hope is grounded in a God who is faithful. Our hope is grounded in a God that despite the odds, Despite what I'm facing, despite what the doctor has said, God is faithful. He is my father. He is the potter, and I am the clay. And when we make that true confession, when we come to that realization, we change the view of God in our lives. God isn't a genie who gives us all these wishes. God is a faithful covenant partner who is walking with us through the midst of it all. God is their father. So there's hope. Not because of the good the people have done. Their confession shows that that they've lacked good and righteous acts. There is hope, not because of their circumstances. Their homeland still lies in ruin. There is hope because of who God is. God is their father. So this is all about a relationship. They express their confidence in a God who loves them despite or in spite of their failings. God is the potter. He's molding them, actively moving in ways that makes makes God's people look more like God. We sang it just a little bit ago. God is moving. God is working. Even when you can't see it, God is working. God is moving. And as humans, we're always, when we get in hopeless situations, when we get, like, when we get in situations where we just, we just want God to snap his fingers and change it, we get tunnel vision. We just think it's, it's got to be done just a certain way. And God says, can you just have some patience? Can you just trust me? Can you just trust that I'm working and I'm moving in your life in your, in your life in such a way that you can't even see it, you can't even fathom what I'm doing in your life? So there's hope for us in the midst of our hopeless situation. On this first Sunday of Advent, many of us are, are walking through or walking towards what is seemingly a hopeless situation. Maybe we are looking ahead at spending time with family with a, with a deep apprehension, apprehension that our longing for a picture-perfect holiday could easily be tattered by addiction or unhealthy relationships or unspoken pain. Some of us walk towards the holiday season knowing we, we won't have a loved one with us. What is supposed to be a joyous occasion has become one of distress and heartache. 
Other, others of us were looking forward to a great year only to be faced with maybe a financial hardship or an illness or wondering how we're even going to make it. So let's be honest. In the middle of, a, in the middle of hopeless situations, God can seem and God can feel distant. You see, despair, despair has a way of robbing us from our joy, doesn't it? Despair has a way of, man, really thinking that, that God is nowhere to be found. And we wonder where God is in the midst of the pain. We, we look longingly at, at where God has worked in the past and ask whether God is still close to us now. And just like our faith ancestors, I believe that, that, that confession should be a part of our spiritual journey. You know, we don't always think about confession during Advent. We think about lights and evergreens and all this joys, uh, candy and all that thing. But it really is a, it should be a season of, of confession. You know, well, Pastor, hold on now. We're, we're holiness people. I, I, didn't, I didn't know that confession was something that we did. I, I confessed all those years ago when I was saved and sanctified, brother. That was when I confessed. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this continual <laughs> I was like, God, this continual prayer to God, God, help me make me more like you. That's what I mean by confession. That's what confession is. Confession is looking at Jesus, looking at you, and talking about the difference. And that's good stuff even for holiness people. Even for people who've been saved and sanctified. And hopefully you haven't been petrified. But hopefully you you walking with the Lord and this continual like conversation with God. God, help me in this area. God, you know I have these feelings towards this situation. Lord, help me. I confess to you that I'm falling short here. That doesn't make you any less of a holiness person when you confess. I would argue it makes you more holy. It makes you more sensitive to what God is wanting to do in your life. It makes you more aware of who God is in your life. Not this brother, I was saved and sanctified in 1975, and I haven't had a problem ever since. You've met those people. You used to go to church with some of those people. Some of them used to come here. And I say that because every Nazarene church has had that. I'm not just picking on us. I'm just saying that's just kind of who we are for, for a little bit. And so I think it's okay to to step into the place of the Judeans here, here in the book of Isaiah and say, Lord, you know that you know there's been times where we haven't been totally faithful to you. Lord, you know there's been times where you've told us to do something as a church and we didn't do it because we were scared, because uh, we didn't want to be uncomfortable. It's, so it's, it's okay to, to lament those moments and say, God, but we understand that you are still with us, that you still love us. Lord, help us. Make us more like you. Look at verse 9. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are your people. God is still our Father. God is still the potter. God desires to be in relationship with us. That's good news. In spite of what you've done, in spite of the ways that maybe you've gotten it wrong, theologically or in your journey or, or whatever, 
God still longs to have a relationship with us, despite our circumstances, despite how you feel about that person or that situation. God still wants to have a relationship with you. God still wants to be your potter and for you to be his clay that he molds, that he makes into his image each and every day. So you may be in a hopeless situation, but take heart. You are still God's child. God has not forsaken us. There's hope. As we wrap it up, remember, there is hope. Not because of it, not because the hope is not grounded in the fact that everything is going to work out the way that we think it should, but there is hope. Not because everything is going to be wrapped up in a neat bow by Christmas morning. There is hope because God still hears us cry out. Just like God heard God's children cry out hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, there is hope because God is a good father who loves us. There is hope because we are still God's people. So even today, weeks before Christmas, when we will celebrate the, the light of the world coming when the earth will rejoice over the birth of Christ in the midst of our despair today, we still cling to hope because we are still God's beloved children. And we know that God has been faithful. We know that God has moved in so many ways in the past. And we know that he's going to continue to do it again. It may look different. It may appear not the way that you would want the situation to work out. But if you trust God, it's going to work out the way that it needs to work out. It's going to work out in a way that you look back and you go, huh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad I allowed the Lord to just work that out for me. We serve a God who is faithful. And your hope today is not based in some Hallmark movie fantasy, but it's based in a God who is faithful, who loves you, who is walking with you. He's going to do it again and again and again, over and over. Amen? Would you stand and let's worship and celebrate the God who is with us and who is faithful. Thank you for visiting camdenaz.church.